Oh yeah. Okay, guys. I am bringing the energy this week. Ten years of podcasting have led to this very <laughs> moment. It's the moment that I introduce this brand new episode of Ideas Don't Bleed, a comics podcast brought to you by Ashcan Press, which is hosted by Matthew Rosenberg. Hello, Matthew. Hi. And it's us, the Supple Boys, Griffin Sheridan, and Ethan S. Parker. I thought I'd, I think that's pretty good. This is one of my best ones yet. Man, you know what I will say? Uh, you like climate change this week, Griffin, because you are bringing the heat. Oh, I know, man. Record numbers yes. over here well, in this. People are literally dying. <laughs> <laughs> they, they heard that and they were like, wow. Look at that. There's water pouring out of my headphones because the, everything has oh risen so much. There's just a flood going on. People are the regretting room. their decisions to have children after hearing that. <laughs> maybe, maybe considering not having another one. You know, like yeah. it's really these are yeah. important yeah. things to yeah. think about these days. Wow. Griffin. And, yes, Matthew. We're doing our show. Uh-huh. I feel like this is an extra special episode. Do you feel that way? Of course. And why do you feel that way? Because we got the Soul Train pulling into the station, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Charles Soul is here. Writer extraordinaire. Welcome, Charles. Thank you, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Charles, thank you for coming, making the time to hang out with us on this hot day. Uh, (laughs) It is is lovely to to spend some time with you, as always. Um, we're just going to jump right in, and I'm going to ask you our traditional first question, which is, why comics? Huh. Tell us that, Charles. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the the real answer is mercenary, and I think that's good because comics is one of the most mercenary creative fields I can think of. Mm-hmm. And the basically, I, I started out being an attorney. Uh, Many, many people know that it's part of my established background. It's actually true. Um, I worked as an attorney for many years and I knew from pretty much the first day that I was going to do it, that I didn't want to do it. Uh, There was nothing wrong with being an attorney. I mean, you know, many of us on this call are attorneys and and we know that it's (laughs) it's an honorable field that helps people Mm -hmm. and, and changes lives and does all kinds of things. The area that I was working in was immigration, which was very directly you know, it was, it literally was changing lives. People could get married because of me. People could do the job they wanted to do because of me. All of those things were great. But um, when I took the bar exam, which is a very difficult test, you guys, I came out of it and I was like, man, I don't want to, I, like, I just knew what I wanted to do is be a creative person. And the law, Mm -hmm. as wonderful as it is, is, is almost the opposite of that, unless you really, really find your path uh, very in a very lucky and creative way to, to get to a creative place. So I started figuring out how I was going to transform my life and my 
mile high stack of student loans into a life that would enable me to like make a living out of creativity. Uh, every, every, uh, like birthday wish I would make things like that was always, I wish I could make a, you know, make, turn my life into a creative one. Um, and so I started, uh, I was, I've been very into music, which you've heard of Matt, I know. Yeah. Um, I'm and I, so I had lots of bands and all that stuff. I was very, very into it. And I thought for a little while I could try that, but it became very clear that the demands of being an early, like a first and second and third year attorney would not allow me to be in bands at all, at least not at the level that I knew I would need to be to make any sort of success of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was playing like CB's gallery and all, like I was still gigging, but it wasn't, it wasn't the lizard lounge. I don't know if you remember these, these wonderful venues, sure, but, yeah. um, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be what I needed it to be. Um, because I'm also very demanding of my own. Like if I do anything, I want it to happen at a high level. And it just, I, I knew I couldn't. So mm-hmm. the thing that I knew I could do though, around the edges of the legal career, the early legal career was writing. And so I started writing my first novel that same summer that I took the bar, I got a you know, like if I say a composition book, you guys know what that is, right? Like what it looks yeah. like, those like sort of cheap ass notebooks from Rite Aid that have like a pebble black and white or blue and white cover. Sure. I bought a couple of those and and some pens and I and pencils and just started writing my first novel in longhand, like on the subway back and forth to work uh, at night. So it might be like 10 at night when they finally let you out of law firm jail and you can go home. <laughs> so I, I, you know, and I, I would think like a paragraph is a victory, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually you do that enough times, it ended up being three of those composition notebooks that became my first novel, The Land of 10,000 Things, uh, which took like years to, to write because you write it all in longhand, then you have to type it in, you have to type like, like edit it, all this shit. Mm-hmm. And then you have to get an agent, which is in another incredibly difficult process, like climbing that mountain, you know, you, writing a novel at all is like climbing Mount Everest five times in a row. But if you're starting from zero with no representation, no publishing contract, like those are two more Everest to stack on top of it. Yeah. Um, so I did all this stuff. It took me three years until the book was done and I had an agent and the agent took it out. And this was over a summer when I was taking a very brief, like six week break from, from law. I was between two jobs. And so I was, um, I was off, uh, like I was in Michigan for that time. Um, mm-hmm. some, some people on this call have heard of Michigan too, I know. And uh, Matt knows, Matt knows that's exactly where I live. He says it all the time. <laughs> so I, I thought like the book was done. I had an agent who had a little bit of a reputation. He was going to take it out that summer. And um, he said, the way this works, I'm going to take it out to publishers. And they all have a set date, which is two weeks out to to call me back and say, here's my offer. Here's my million dollar offer for this book. And he's like, what we're gonna do is get a bidding war going so that that first offer is gonna become, you know, ping pong, ping pong, and then eventually you never have to be a lawyer again. And I was convinced this was gonna happen. I had set myself into a place where I, you know, you just sort of, I I, I made the mistake of of counting my chickens before they'd hatched Mm -hmm. and you can obviously tell where the story's going. Um, I got the call in two weeks and he said, nobody, nobody went for it. Nobody took that book. And I said, okay, well, what do we do with it now? Because I'm not a quitter. And, and he's like, well, we don't do anything with it now. Like we have, <laughs> we have taken it to the places that theoretically could buy it and they didn't want it. So now, you know, what you can do is write a new book and see what happens next time. And oh I was like, God, fucking suck. That was <laughs> three years of my, oh my life. God. And, um, and I didn't, you know, it, I, I didn't think about, well, what if I self-publish? What if I, I mean, mm-hmm. there was no Kickstarter. Like all of those options didn't exist. So 
I just put it in the drawer where it remains to this very day. I did start my second book. Um, but in the process of writing the second book, I got a first draft done. My agent read it and he was like, this is really good. But by the way, I have some news for you. And I said, what's the news? He's like, well, I am going to quit being an agent to go be a teacher at a school up in the Bronx. And I'm like, well, hey, man, that's great. That's very noble of you. Who's my new agent over there? Uh -huh. said, well, it doesn't work like that. He said, <laughs> agenting is a very personal, personal thing. And, uh, you know, the, the person who represents you has to have a connection with your material. And I'm like, okay, so who there has a connection with my material? He's like, well, everybody's list is pretty full over here. Um, and so I, I essentially, you know, he referred me to a few people and it didn't really connect or work with them either. So I, all of a sudden I like, I didn't have an agent. So it meant that I was now, I'd been kicked down like five or six Everest in a row and I was down at base camp again with zero. And I had a, a book that was, that was pretty far through this second book of mine, this novel. But I was like, there has to be an easier way because this, at this point I was, I was, I don't know, four and four years and change in. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, what is, what is the thing that's out there that I like that theoretically could have lower barriers to entry, lower gatekeeping, you know, faster and comics came to mind. And I had already been poking around on the Bendis board. Brian Michael Bendis had a very popular message board around this time. This is around like 2004. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and they were trying to do things like little, let's do an anthology. Let's write four page stories. And, and there were artists and writers and like, you know, some pretty talented people were on that. Jonathan Hickman was on that board at the time. Uh, Nick Spencer was on that board at the time. Um, lots of artists were on that board. It was like, it was a very vibrant community. Mm -hmm. We're all kind of trying to learn from each other. Um, were you on it at that time, Matt? No, I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, I was on it. Yeah. Were you? <laughs> yeah. Really? As a as a small child, yes. As a, as a his, post, his, his posts were mostly gibberish. <laughs> they were misspelled reviews of Ultimate Spider-Man on, on your like handheld Sony. Um, what were those called? The little like Sony Game Boys, the DS something, right? No, there is a PSP. Not a PSP. The PSP before is, that. Is they were like little. They're like pink. Um, anyway, I'm assuming that's how I'm envisioning you posting on the Venice board, Griffin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah um. So I started to get the idea and, and did participate, did some short stories. And then I started going to conventions and like, it didn't end up saving me a lot of time. I didn't have my first thing published till 2009, uh, which was strongman through, through, uh, SLG, yeah. uh, Dan Pato's company, uh, which, which was the first step in the journey. But it, the, I think the difference between, um, the novel like the four years of, of novel writing that went nowhere and the, the five years of comic struggle that, that did go somewhere, but took a long time to get there was that I was not alone in it, whether it was working with mm -hmm. artists or just the community. Like there was such a community of strivers and strugglers in comics that did not exist in, in novels. My community in novels was like people around me, my friends who were like, I, you seem like a go-getter. I bet you can do this. And, and people who might like read it, but it wasn't, I wasn't sharing the experience with other people who were trying to do it too. And that really was the key for me anyway, in terms of, of making that five years between choosing to do it and doing it uh, very like fulfilling, you know, every rung on that ladder was, was awesome. Every little achievement was awesome along the way. Yeah. It's, it's funny. The, uh, when I, when I started writing, because comic, I loved comics, but comics seemed so alien to me. Like I didn't know anyone who'd ever made comics, mm -hmm. and so the first thing I tried to do was I was like, "Well, I love. I'm going to write a Star Wars novel." 
and my dad was a I've actually a, done that. Yeah. I know, I'm aware. <laughs> um, the uh, There's slight differences between your Star Wars novel and mine, but uh, we can get into that later. Uh, but my dad, you know, was a, a novelist and, and mm-hmm. I talked to his agent and he was like, yeah, and, you know, you can talk to my agent. And my agent was like, you can't just write a Star Wars novel. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, it's through Del Rey and like you can, you, you know, I can send it to them and, and you can query them or whatever. And he's like... Yeah, it's like, uh, I think it's a pretty full house over there in, in Star Wars Novel Land. And he's like, why don't you just change it? Change it to be something that's like Star Wars, but not, and prove to them you can do it. And I was like, it's got Wookiees in it. Like, I can't change it. <laughs> There's Wookiees. And he was like, I don't know what that is. Think of something else that that thing could be. And I was like, no, it kind of has to be Wookiees. It's pretty Wookiee-centric. And then I was like, I guess I'm going to make comics. <laughs> and that's a it's a shortening of that story. But I the the... I was only trying to make a novel for six months before I was like, oh, this is really lonely and kind of, yeah, and, and such a long process. And like you, like I was trying to make comics for a long time uh, before I actually was making them, but you're doing things that feel like you're making progress even when you're not in like getting pages back and, and making connections. And well, you remember the first, I think the first time you and I interacted we ta- I tabled next to you at my first ever convention. I think it was like, wasn't it like behind me? Like, it, like it, it was, was, yeah, we were on, co- I think we were on a corner for some reason. So I think we were yeah. like next to each other. Yeah. And it was my first ever comic convention. I just had self-published stuff and you had uh strongman, and then I think oh, issues of 27, but not the trade. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. And you were just like, you were the first person I know who'd, made it and so you were just like telling me the whole weekend like yeah that's not how this works and i would ask you questions you'd be like yeah that's not how this works all the time and i was like okay i guess <laughs> i don't know i don't know I mean, what he i i remember i don't know what you would have had at that time it wasn't for it was wasn't four kids it was that um it was it was an early home. version of we can never go home that yeah, had that's... different art and was right. self-published exactly. yeah but i remember reading it uh and like you like there's always this like you know, you get a lot of things at, at shows. People leave you their comics. You know, you, oh, yeah. you you pick up zines. It's just part of the part of the process. And um, I I love that anybody makes any comics at all. Sure. But, yeah. You know, there's a there's a process of of getting better at your craft, just like there is in novels or any creative thing. Mm-hmm. And like, not every every band's demo is is totally kick ass on the first go, right? Sure. And um, so you just get this sense after having seen like whatever thousands of them of, of who's kind of ready to go up and who's gonna who needs more time. Yeah. And uh, you know you're that that I remember thinking oh this is really this is this is solid like whatever oh. the thing is the thing is here. Um, I see. So I mean it was it's I don't I I don't I don't ever just like make random stuff up to make people feel good. I think okay. if you were to describe me you would you would not put that in my. <laughs> yeah sheet um so but it's true and i remember you know i can think of a few like a handful of other people that i felt that way about many of whom are in our fabled slack that we talk to almost every day now yeah yeah you know but it's it's funny to me because you you hold this very interesting place for me because like i knew some other people who i know i came up with people who weren't making comics yet professionally uh like steve orlando frank barberi like people like that where like we were all like mini comics and pitches and ash cans and all that stuff. But you were one of the first Brisson is one of those people too, mm-hmm. but you were one of the first people who I was like, 
he has a book with the fucking like he has a slave labor book he has an image book like they, he has the fucking eye on his book and and so like you taking the time to like talk to me for a weekend i was always like man this is this is like you know remember everything this guy says like he knows what he's talking about and then someone else was like a lot of people have image and slave labor books and i was like no i feel like he had a lot of good advice and then watching your career every step when it was like oh well now he's like in the new 52 and now he's doing all these things i was like oh man like you've always been this sort of person who like showed me that there's a path from you know from the start from from where everything is and i i I think that's always i mean i appreciate it on a career level and on a friend level but also like it's i'm always very fascinated by you and the choices you make because you're so smart and and this has a pejorative meaning but i don't mean it that way like you're so calculating in what you do everything seems like very planned and it's it's very inspiring to me as a creator and so uh, that's not really a question, I guess, but <laughs> I, mean, I didn't mind hearing it. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think of it like a, it's, it's very hard to make exceptionally good creative work. It's really hard to do it. Sure. It takes forever. It costs a lot at, even at our like paltry yeah. level it costs a lot. And, uh, and the returns are, are not always guaranteed. And so if, if I'm going to put that much energy and time and focus into anything, I want to like enter into it with a plan. Like I don't just do yeah. stuff and have it, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. Like I, I have yeah. prearranged as many potential outcomes as I can for it. I've pulled as many levers and pushed as many buttons as I can to make it a success. Um, you know, it's just a, the, the, the work, the work itself is like, you know, I think the work itself, if I were to be, totally honest is 40% of the thing. Yeah. I, I think, and, and that can be a little fluid. Like if you have some incredibly spectacular piece of work, maybe the work ends up being a little carrying carries a little bit more weight, but generally speaking, most of what you're doing is not the work itself to make yourself a creative success in a career. Yeah. It's all the other stuff. It, a lot of it makes sense to me because you're a person who was a career person and 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 went and did the work to have a career so that planning makes sense but then on this podcast we find out that you went through all the work of going to college and then going to law school and taking the bar exam for a thing you didn't want to do in which case now i'm like maybe he's fucking terrible at planning things like no, that well, seems no, like what, really bad all right so so i went to i mean this is not a secret it's in my wikipedia but i went to columbia law school right so Lovely. which is you know quite quite a fine institution and so I always think of everything I do, including this podcast, as does it open a door, does it close a door, does it do nothing for me? Mm-hmm. And There's um, a door closer, right? You can just be honest. Well, somebody's doors are going to get closed in this podcast. Probably <laughs> won't be mine. I guess oh, we'll check out. It'll be oh, wow. part of the fun, part Sorry, of the fun Griffin. and drama in the, uh, in the, in the time. Um, anyway, so Columbia Law School was clearly going to and has opened many, 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 many doors in my life. Hey, chocolate milk. How about that? There it is. Yoo-hoo, rather. <laughs> it's finally made an appearance. I, 20 I have, minutes in. You know, I, I, I'm I having a, a a cherry Coke Zero, which is delicious. In, in, a, mm. in, in Oh, wow. In your own uh, branded glass. Jesus Lugged. Christ. Lugged. Lugged. Always be represented. Anyway, so. Just so just just for the record, it's Ovaltine, not chocolate milk, but, you know, whatever. But I was, I thought about um, making some dumb joke about this being like dark chocolate milk and making you all jealous and intrigued. But then. I, I would have been. 
No, uh, it would have worked. You could, I mean, you would have had us. Yeah. So, so law school, it. Um, I don't think there's any world. I mean, there a world exists, sure, but like for in 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 my big picture planning calculation, having a, a law degree from Columbia Law School was is is a plus, not a minus. The only thing it did, I think, is it got me started later. Like I, sure. I, I didn't make it as a professional writer. And, and you can define make it however you want. But the way I usually define it is when I got my exclusive with Marvel, because that's mm -hmm. when I was able to start saying, well, no, I don't have to, maybe don't have to do this anymore. Yeah. Law. And um, you were still practicing when you got exclusive at Marvel? Oh, yeah. For, and, and for like another three or four years after, because I, huh. I was not going to abandon, I had my own law practice and I had my own office. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I, rem I, I remember talking to you about it once and you were like, yeah, I have people who fucking work for me. Work for me. Yeah. I had yeah. like my own, my own business, a very robust client. I had, I had the whole thing. Like there's yeah. no question I could have done it for the rest of my life. And I, so I was not going to foolishly be like, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. and abandon it for getting a chance to write Thunderbolts, you know, as, wow. as, as great as that gig was and how much I loved it. That was my first, my first job at Marvel, which came out, um, 10 years ago this month, actually Thunderbolts yeah, 12 yeah. with Steve Dillon on the art, which is amazing. Sure. And they were all red. Yes, they were. They are the red team, uh, Punisher, Red Hulk, Electra, Deadpool, um, Mercy, who was a weird character from mm -hmm. Peter David's Hulk run. Uh, and I feel like somebody else, Venom was on it. Um, anyway, so, I don't think not being a lawyer would have necessarily been the right thing for me because it also meant I, I had, you know, I had more of a, a budget to sell fun things like, like strongman. Like I could afford to, mm -hmm. to pay those artists and pay them what were, you know, I, I think we're good uh, indie, super indie comic book wages for, for the early two thousands or whatever, mid two thousands. Um, but I didn't actually make it in comics till again, 2014 when I was in my, like I was in my, gosh, uh, my, well, I was in my thirties, so it, it, it was late, but I also think a lot of comic book writers don't make it until their thirties. They don't get yeah. that, that tap until their thirties. It's weird if you get it younger, like Brian K. Vaughn is a total anomaly. Yeah. Um, Neil Gaiman anomaly. These are not the super successful guys, total anomalies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I actually wanted, I was going to talk about it later, but I want to go back to it because you talked about the novel thing. And and this idea of of the Everest, I, I, I understand. I, I grew up in a house watching my dad make novels. I, I know novelists and just the it seems so grueling and impenetrable to me. And I understand if that's what you know and that's what you do, that it's like, well, this is what I do and this is what I'm built for. But you went, wrote some novels and then went and got the quick fix gratification of comics, the like the speedy i get art back in a week it's on shelves in three months like mm -hmm. it's collected in nine like the whole process is done in a year kind of thing and i i understand making the transition what i don't understand is going back to novels which you did how is it how are you emotionally handling the long process like is it not does it not seem like you're a sprinter who suddenly has to learn to suddenly gets put in a marathon like not, not really, um, because it's a very different set of muscles to write a novel than it is to write a comic sure. book. Uh, and and I enjoy the ability to to do the deep dives and to whether that's research or just the, like the technical act of of writing prose. It's a very like 
your mind goes to another place in a way that it doesn't necessarily do for me to the same degree in comics, um, because I know I'm not, I'm only part responsible for very generously half of half of the creative product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what I do with novels is I just, I like, I, I teleport into the other world that I'm, or my mind does into the other world that's, that's being created. And that's a very, grueling and invigorating thing it, it does feel like you're like i get up from the chair uh, uh after a day of writing a novel and i'm just i i can barely move yeah. or think it's very i mean again you said your dad did it so you know you know what yeah. that's like sure. um, so why did i go back to it? i think it's two things first of all i've always loved like i read voraciously i'm all i'm usually reading three or four novels at a time mm-hmm. um and it it is something I, the idea of doing that, of bringing those into the world was always something I romanticized since I was very, very little. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to on a creative level, but then I also have this whole, like, I, so I've been doing of a, a, like recently, there's been a, a number of these kind of deep dive sort of interviews where we talk about what I do in my process. Sure. And, and the thing that tends to come out is, is what you said about the calculatedness, the way mm-hmm. that I, I'm thinking about things beyond just the story I'm telling. And, and I think of myself as a person who uh, has a certain capacity and, and I should be using that to create insurance against the idea that I ever have to go back and be a lawyer again, basically. Uh And so like when I came into Marvel, particularly when I came into that first summit, I recognized the feeling Hey, I love Marvel, by the way. I, I write for them now. I'm writing uh, several books for them at the moment. They're the greatest comic book company that's ever lived. However, um, I walked into that first summit and I knew like as clearly as I'd known anything in my life that Marvel will not love you back. It was, yeah. it was very obvious when I looked at the careers of the people in that room and who was there and how long they'd been there. And I was thinking about names that I had had known that were on books like very shortly before me who were who had vanished um sure. you know we could we could we're not going to but we could sit here and name a number of names like that of people who come in they they seem like the biggest thing and then poof they're gone and you can think like the the average life cycle of a, of a marvel or dc writer is is i was going to say five years it's really more like two to three years like yeah. most people are in and they're out so getting to five is an extraordinary is like an extraordinary accomplishment. Getting to ten is like you can you can kind of count them on sure. probably you know two two like modern writers. It's it's there aren't very many. And then getting to twenty, it's like there's like three. Like there yeah. there there just aren't. It's very very difficult to stay. And even if you stay, at a certain point you're writing Alpha Flight. Not that there's anything wrong with writing Alpha Flight, yeah. but. Like, you know, like there, there's, there's a sure. point where you get sort of, you're not on Avengers anymore. You're not on the tip top books anymore. And I recognize that cycle immediately because it's the same way in law firms. Like they, they chew you up and they, it's because law firms hire, let's say a big, huge firm hires 50 first year associates, mm-hmm. knowing that of that group, two might become partners, maybe. Yep. Uh, and, and we'll, we'll be able to work the way up through all the various winnowings and, and like, you don't fit the culture or you want to go do something else. And, and it, you know, but at least those people like have a law degree, right? Like you work in yeah. Marvel, there's only really one other place to go. Um, <laughs> and I mean, not necessarily, not completely true. There are options, but you know, sure. you know, the point I'm making, right? Yeah, of course. And so it's, 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 
it's complicated. And so what I almost from the first day I started working at Marvel, I was like, okay, how do I hedge against that obvious thing that's going to happen to me? Like my time is going to be up one day and yeah. I better have a lot of awesome, like I better use this opportunity. Like I, I'm going to take everything from them that they're going to take from me to build myself into a situation where I'm absolutely bulletproof. And it doesn't matter. Like Marvel could cut me and I, it wouldn't mean a thing to me, mm -hmm. um, which is not true. I love Marvel, obviously. Sure, of course. Thing. I think they're, I really do think they give extraordinary opportunities. I, I love writing the stories that I've gotten to write there, but I also know they don't love me. I, it, we don't have to love each other for that to be, yeah. it doesn't have to be romantic for it to work, you know? Yeah. Um, and so if, if, and when that ever happens, like if my time at Marvel is ever up, I want to make sure that I have a lot of other things going and novels seem like a, a, a smart way to start doing that. And I've done a lot of other things too, but, but novels were one of them. So long answer, but I clearly have some thoughts on the subject. No, I, 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 I'm intrigued by it and I, it, it sort of crossed off a couple of questions that I was going to ask, but that's okay because you answered them. Uh, but I'm I'm curious. I want to go back a little bit. You, so you, you you start and you're doing Strongman and you do 27, and then I feel like your next thing is is DC though, right? That you get into yeah. DC. Um, actually, there is there was a book for for Archaea, um, which was oh. followed by Boom called Strange Attractors, which yeah, is my, to date big New York City book. Um, I feel like I'm getting ready to write another one, although I don't know exactly what that's going to be or who it's going to be or with. Sure. I mean, the, the next novel novel I'm going to write is set here. It's set in New York City, so it might be that. But I don't know. Like, I, I think I love I love New York. You love New York. It's such a such a great place. It's a nice place. Um, but anyway, so Strange Attractors and then... Strange Attractors is before Swamp Thing? Yes. I thought it was after. Okay. No, right. Strange Attractors, the, because the reason I got Swamp Thing is because I was at... Um, I want to say San Diego, tabling at San Diego Comic-Con, which is such mm. a questionable decision, sure. <laughs> to make, especially for like a young creator who didn't have much out. Like that's a very expensive con to have a table at for sure. many reasons. And it's very hard to make your money back. Uh, but I did, I was, and I met um, an executive there uh, who's, uh, his name is Jeff Boysen, who is somebody who I think a lot of us know. He moved from DC to, to Image. Sure. Um, and he just sort of was was talking to me and i had at that time a like a preview ash can of strange attractors so like the first 20 pages or so yeah. and i gave it to him and i i must have had the first trade of of 27 and strongman there so i gave him like the pile of stuff and and we just kind of were talking and he's like you know i really i like i i like the cut of your jib i'm going to you know have you ever thought about working for dc and i said why do you think I, you know, in my no. head, I said, why do you think I'm doing this? You know, why, why do you think a guy sits here at San Diego Comic-Con making $4 for the weekend um, <laughs> if it isn't ultimately to try to make a connection that will get him up the ladder? And that is not the path for everybody, but it was definitely the path. Like, that's what I was trying to do. Sure. Um, so I said, yeah, of course, you know, I'd, it, it, I wanted to, but I really haven't had the, you know, nobody's asked me to yet. And he said, well, I'm going to introduce you to somebody I'm going to put you in touch with somebody and, and we'll see what maybe we can make happen. And that somebody was an editor at DC named Matt Idelson, who sure, I sure. would assume some of you know, yes, uh, yes. who um, ended up being the person who asked me to pitch on Swamp Thing. So this was, this would have been the fall of 2012 that I was asked to pitch. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I have this 
you know, sort of trite philosophy, which is just that anytime I get any opportunity, even if it's extremely intimidating, I'm still going to put everything I have into it because what, what's the alternative, right? Like, why would you not? And so I was very like, Alan Moore was like standing right behind me, whispering in my ear while I was trying to write this pitch. And as, as were every other like awesome writer I can think of from Grant Morrison, to Josh Dessart to BK Vaughn, like everybody, no, no. Scott Snyder, right. Who I didn't know at the time sure, um, sure. was writing it. I was going to take over the run from him in theory, if I got it. And so I read a lot, refreshed myself and came up with a pitch I thought would be really cool. And fortunately Matt Idelson's sensibilities and presumably up the chain you know, all the way up to Didio and so on at the time, uh, connected with what I was, I was suggesting to do. And I took over Swamp Thing with issue 19. Um, and that started coming out in March of 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, and pretty quickly after that, like, and I, I think, you know, once they, once they realized I could do the job, I was going to be professional about it. I was going to turn in scripts that were drawable and, and, and would be fun and cool. They, uh, I got a call from Bob Harris, uh, who offered me Red Lanterns, which was very exciting. I was like, oh my God, I had I went from not being in this world at all to being on two DC books. Uh, had to very quickly catch up on what the hell the Red Lanterns were. Sure. Uh, but, you know, um, I ended up telling a story I was proud of. And I got to work with uh, Matt and, and Chris Conroy, who's another editor who has, has been very central to my my path like he, he and i become like we haven't worked together in a long time because i, I haven't worked at dc in a long time but he, he's become a very very close friend sure. so like it 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 started with those and then i got a call from marvel around this time from jordan white who's an editor who again many of us know well mm -hmm. um or at least half of us know well uh two of two of us know very well i think um <laughs> and uh he offered me um uh, Thunderbolts with, as, as we talked about before with Steve Dillon on the art, uh, taking over from Daniel Wade. Yeah. Uh, and so like, as I, I'd say this in, you know, interviews and stuff like that, but the, the, it's sort of true, right? The easiest way to get a job at Marvel is by getting a job at DC yeah. uh, being, being the new writer at DC that everybody's interested in is the way to get Marvel being like, well, Hey, so, um, so I started writing Thunderbolts. It was going well. And then um, the timing here is a little fuzzy, but but I was offered She-Hulk at mm -hmm. with Javier Polito at Marvel, um, and then I also was offered Superman, Wonder Woman at DC right around this time, and so I was writing five ongoing titles between Marvel and DC with basically with it was within the year of my first book being published at mm -hmm. DC, which was. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen this kind of thing happen. It happens to people. Um, sure. But I don't know that I can think of somebody who was doing it for both DC and Marvel at the same time. And at, to, at this level, maybe I might be forgetting somebody, but it, it seemed like an awful lot because you're also, you're juggling editors and, and creative teams and storylines and, and the, the, like the, the demands of the, of the shared universe, you know, so, so whatever was happening in new 52 had to be accounted for within all the books and like the big events that we're dealing with, which I was not running at the time, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, I had to think about all that stuff at the same time over in Marvel, I had to be thinking about the, uh, all new, all different. Yeah, universe. exactly. All new, all different. And, and also dealing with the fact that She-Hulk was, was kind of a, a thing. Um, mm -hmm. like it, it, it landed with, with sort of a splash critically, even though the numbers, because it was She-Hulk and She-Hulk 
never typically sells super well, um, was kind of just, it, it was, it was a lot to process. And then Marvel comes calling, uh, for like, do you want to have lunch? And it was, it was me and, um, the then editor in chief Axel Alonso and Mike Marks, who was running the X line with, you know, would you like to write death of Wolverine? And I'm sure you had a similar one because you wrote, um, death of, no, I wrote well, Rebirth of Phoenix, right? With Phoenix yeah. Returns. Um, yeah. I'm not and, about. I'm about bringing them back, not killing them. Exactly. I'm more of a killer. No. Uh, so, so that was that was incredibly, incredibly. That lunch, like I remember it vividly, it was a Thai place that Axel liked to go near the office, um, and he offered me this book, and then he said Steve McNiven's going to draw it, which just like made me sure. fall over, um, and. And and then he said, but if you if you take this job, you you can't work at DC anymore. Like you're gonna have to take an exclusive with us. And I was like, wow, okay. Uh, give me like a day to think about it. He's like, okay, just but you you have a day. Like you don't yeah. have any time. And so I thought about it, and and my thinking process there was like, if I do this right, if I can do Death of Wolverine right with Steve McNiven drawing, I will be I will go from who's this new kid to this is a guy who can handle the big stuff and, sure. and we should give him the big stuff and I'll have an exclusive. So we kind of have to, from a contract perspective. So I took that job and thanks to Steve McDivin, primarily it, uh, it, it did land really, really well. Sold, sold tons of copies, got foil covers back then, which was very rare. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. And then, then I was, I was done at DC. have not worked at D I got to finish my run on Swamp Thing, but I'm, um, I've been done at DC ever since. Uh, and, there you go. So I don't know if that's actually what you wanted to know. No, it is. It is. I mean, I was going to ask um, why you killed Wolverine, but we don't have to get into that. I'm only here to talk about hot claws. <laughs> we, can about, we can talk about some hot claws, but that's jumping ahead. It oh, is. Fuck. Jumping All right. Ahead. All right. All right. And that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Charles Soule. Make sure to check out The Endless Vessel, The Bloody Dozen, and Star Wars, as well as everything else Charles is working on by giving him a follow on Twitter at Charles Soule. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion, and in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at Ashcan Press on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the poison?